Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Todd Harrison, who is a partner in the legal firm Venable, who is one of the good hat legal firms who helps defend uh, us and many other companies against uh, the many the some of the federal regulatory agencies like the FDA and FTC. And we're going to talk about some exciting developments that have some really complex legal issue involved, uh, pretty much CBD and uh, homeopathy. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Todd. Thank you, Dr. McCall. It's a pleasure to be here today. So uh, why don't you talk about Venable? Because I think from my view, it's the most well-respected legal firm in the entire country for this, for this type of uh, uh, service that you provide. Yes. Um, so Venable is a full service law firm. We started actually back in the 1800s. Um, so there actually was a Mr. Venable at one time. And, <laughs> uh, and so it's a very old firm. It started in Baltimore City. And over the years, starting in the 1980s, it started to grow and decided to develop a regulatory practice. And so when you have a regulatory practice, it always makes sense to have a Washington, D.C. office. And then recently, in the 2000s, we added an LA office, a New York office, and a San Francisco office. And so we do full service. So we do everything from IP work to it was just intellectual property, to contracts, to distribution agreements, to just general corporate work as well. And my my specific specific expertise is in food and drug law and and advertising law. And primarily, I do a lot of work with dietary supplement companies, uh, and I advise them on a regular basis. And we have we are very me and my partner Claudia Lewis are very active in that space and we represent a lot of the companies um, in who market uh, supplement products or co and cosmetic products to, to individuals. Yeah, and I believe part of the, your company's expertise is that uh, this is the, you've, you've implemented the revolving door for the good side because you've got a lot of people there who used to work for these federal regulatory agencies that are now employed full-time by you in the private sector. Yes, that's true. Um, so, for instance, in our New York office, we have Len Gordon, who you're familiar with. Len came out of the Federal Trade Commission. He was the East Coast Regional Director of the Federal Trade Commission. And we recently brought in um, Michael Bloom, from who was at DOJ. And while at DOJ, he oversaw not only FDA cases, but also the FTC cases Yeah, so, for so the department. Tremendous wealth of experience. So with all that experience, you're going to help shed us light, help shed some light for us on a, on a really important topic, uh, which is CBD, uh, the cannabis plant. It's the non-psychoactive component of cannabis, uh, unlike THC, that doesn't affect you, but it has many clinical benefits, such as control of seizures and for pain. We have literally a projection of somewhere between 50 and 60,000 individuals this year in the United States alone who will die from the opioid crisis. It is indeed an incredible crisis and we need some natural solutions and, and, and CBD seems to be one of them. So unfortunately now I believe, uh, well, cannabis is classified as, as a uh, class one narcotic. Uh, which Correct. is not available for clinical for, for use at all. Uh, so maybe you can define what the current status of CBD and cannabis is. 
Okay, so there are, if you, what people should realize is that cannabis and hemp are the same plant. Um, it's just the amount of THC that's in that plant. Uh, the, the status of cannabis is quite clear. Under federal law, it is a control, it's a controlled substance. It cannot be marketed. It cannot be sold. That's irregardless of what the states have done. Um, so let's take, for instance, if all of a sudden we had a President Pence tomorrow, it is quite possible under President Pence that that the federal government will clamp down on the states that have legalized uh, cannabis and take take um, action against individuals in those states. So a lot of it is with cannabis in those states that where they've said they've legalized it really depends upon the goodwill of the U, the federal government not to enforce the U.S. drug laws. CBD is a different issue um and it's a kind of a complex issue so cbd if we look at it is part of the hemp plant it can be also part of the marijuana plant it can come it generally comes from the resin of of the plant cbd is considered right now by the dea to be a controlled substance it's considered to be marijuana uh, there is a carrot case now pending before the ninth circuit of appeals oral hearings were I think roughly three weeks ago, and maybe a little bit off on that timing, um, on whether DA's scheduling of it is appropriate. Uh, so we will have a decision now of the Ninth Circuit from a DEA perspective or control substance, probably sometime midsummer. Uh, mm -hmm. I would think no later than September, because okay. it's generally generally six to nine months. And I truly believe that the Ninth Circuit will rule against the DEA. I think the DEA has overstepped. It is a non-psychoactive. You can't sit there and classify everything under marijuana to be a to be a controlled substance. So I think in the end, it's a fight that the DEA is losing. Who, in the who, mean, who, who brought the lawsuit? The lawsuit was brought by by several hemp growers um, okay. to, against the DEA, uh, and it will last. Like I said, it's been going on for a while, so we're we're at the court of appeal stage, and we expect a decision. I think the arguments are very strong that that the DEA has overstepped its bounds. It, so, from a controlled substance point of view. CBD, that decision out of the Ninth Circuit will either be a game changer or it will be the industry's worst nightmare. Okay, uh, and, and let's just stop there for a moment. Sure. If it, after that decision, is this a final decision or can they appeal it? Is there a higher appeal or does that go to Supreme yeah, Court? They, they could, they could, they could, a DA could appeal it to the Supreme Court, but I also don't think this Supreme Court will side with the DEA. I, I truly believe that there's just no rational reason for what they've done with 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 the with, with their proposal. So I think they're going to lose. But yes, they they this is not going to be the end all die all. But I think that it will be hard for them to overcome it. Okay. And they may not even pursue it after that. Hey, when you really think about it, it's a non-psychoactive ingredient. So why are you really worried about it? It's not addicting. We don't have to worry about bogeying high of it. I mean, maybe I think somebody told me you could probably get high off CBD, but you'd probably have to have eat about 100 pounds of it. <laughs> so, 
Well, you know, the, that's a rational approach, whether they shouldn't classify it as they have. Uh, but the uh, <clears throat> the ulterior motivation may be uh, the collusion with the drug agencies or drug drug industry, rather, that uh, we know is rampant and uh, responsible it, for, for siding with it. Because well, when you, when I, you eliminate that, that that is a resource is certainly taking funds away from the pharmaceutical companies but but there's so that's just a dea issue i actually believe that the the that the drug company that is developing the the, the cbd drug right now is going to want it descheduled because they're not going to want it to be a controlled substance so in the end i think even if the ninth circuit case goes badly my prediction would be is that once FDA approves the new drug approval, there's going to be a recommendation to deschedule it from okay. FDA because it's not in the interest of the pharmaceutical company to have it be a controlled substance. Now, that's another issue that you bring up and that there is a company, I forget the name of it, I'm sure you know. It, it's a GW Pharma. GW Pharma, right. That... Uh, and I, I don't know the current status, but I believe they've been uh, granted a patent and are, are are going to have it classified as a drug. And once that happens, to, what is the status of that? What does that do to the CBD being sold now? Does that make it a crime nationally to sell CBD because it's a drug? No, it doesn't make it a crime. So there are two, two um, important dates here. CBD was not marketed in a single moiety prior to 2006. Um, actually, it was probably around 2008, 2009. In 2006, GW Pharma filed an IND with FDA to conduct clinical trials um, on CBD. And because it held a lot of promise for uh, patients with certain seizure disorders. And to be able to make that type of claim, you have no choice but to go through clinical trials. And then they instituted clinical trials immediately after that. Those dates are important because under the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, if an ingredient is the subject of an IND and significant clinical trials prior to its use as a dietary ingredient, you have to get authorization from FDA to market that ingredient. Nobody paid has paid attention to this. The CBD industry just went hog wild and decided that they were going to get into it and ignored that part of the law. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's still actually a limited time. Somebody could petition FDA to market CBD as a dietary ingredient. Um, mm -hmm. There, and, you know, the only time, the only way it ever becomes a preclusion, if somebody doesn't act prior to FDA approving the new drug, uh, CBD as a new drug. So once you they approve it as a new drug, and it would be precluded unless FDA actually went ahead and permitted its use before that. So that's the that's the rub here is that there is a small window of time that a company could go forward with FDA. Now you know there's a good chance that FDA may reject it, um, and you may very have a very good case to bring it to a court because there's no reason that CBD shouldn't be able to be marketed as a dietary ingredient. But nobody's doing that right now, 
And because of that, their risk, the industry, the, the industry risk that FDA will, once it approves that, um, approves that drug approval, there's no way of being able to get CBD as a single moiety marketed as a dietary supplement. Um, they, in many ways, act like the cannabis crowd, the CBD companies do, in that, well, if everybody's selling it, then we're not going to have any problems and we're going to force the, the law to change that way. There's one big difference here. Most, most pharmaceutical companies don't have clinical trials on smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Here is a co- company that does very good work, has done, actually, if you talk to even some of the natural but botanists out there, has done extremely good work on CBD and TAC and marijuana. And they, they have a, they're going to want to, like everybody else, kind of like a patent, they're going to want to protect their interests. Mm-hmm. And they, they may very well, and this is my speculation, they may not, they may not care, but they may very well tell FDA, you need to do something at that point. Mm-hmm. Or they may tr- try to do it themselves by bringing their own actions. So that's the risk the CBD industry takes. But then we kind of move away from CBD. Well, well, and we move, before we go move away. Yeah. I, I oh, I'm going to stay on CBD. Okay. I move away to to expand it to hemp. Yeah, yeah but let's, let's just focus on what you just said, yeah. because you, you, you mentioned quite a bit. And I'm wondering a few things. One is if a, a company, well, two, one, why a, a company wouldn't have already pursued this action. And if that company did, I'm assuming if it was approved as a dietary ingredient, that it would be available to the entire industry, not just that one company that brought the petition. That's correct. It would be. It would be to the entire because they don't want to be said no to, and they've gotten some really bad legal opinions on this issue. So I saw one legal opinion that was absolutely laughable. They argued that significant clinical trials did not include phase one or phase two clinical trials. Well, that's an absurd um, dis- uh, distinction because if Congress would have meant that you had only it had to be phase three clinical trials, then Congress would have said in the law, the institution of phase three clinical trials. And by the time you get to phase two, you spent a lot of money investigating that. So, and you've already, in hundreds of patients that have taken the product under clinical trials. So it is really, in my opinion, bad legal advice that these companies have been provided, and they ran with it. And this is not, and within the supplement industry, I hate to say it, it's not unusual for this to happen, that they do something and they just run with it without thinking of the consequences. We can talk about other things like DMA possibly, or we could talk about, um, you know, I'm trying to think of DMA is one that pops to, to my, my mind foremost, but doing things without co- understanding the consequences of the action or truly really appreciating the legal issues involved. And um, Reggie Shrice would have been when they, when they were using, when Reggie Shrice was specifically being fermented to increase its lovastatin content, for instance. That was back in the early 2000s. Um, so it, you know, the industry sometimes shoots itself in its foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, could I come up with a plausible legal argument, uh, a, just a purified CBD extract? I could. 
but it's not it, it, it's not a strong legal argument and i think ultimately a court would has no choice because the way the law is written decide with fda mm -hmm. the the more difficult questions is if i'm truly marketing a hemp product if i'm marketing hemp hemp oil hemp extract i think that the fact that it has cbd in it fda can't do anything about it um and, and those products can can be lawfully marketed okay so the the potential loophole through this would be hemp although uh your suggestion or implication is that uh if it was hemp it may not have any cbd so it may not that, even be effective clinically that's correct because my understanding about hemp is that the only way to get hemp to get to get um cbd is through the resin and it would really have to be the non-resin portion of the of the of the of the hemp plant, not the resin portion. And that's a distinction that I've not had anybody come to me and show me that to be true. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, what what do you think the likely outcome here is? Is that uh, from you know pending this this decision by the Ninth Circuit Court? Uh, uh, and it's not, and it's likely, whatever that is, it's likely not being appealed. Although that right. the if it, if it was over, if it was ruled against, I guess the the hemp uh, back. Well, yeah, if they, could, yeah, could I, I would think they, uh, yeah, I, they they would have no choice but to appeal it because now you're now you you've made it a schedule yeah. one, um, and that's that would be very problematic. Um, yeah. I, I think that. You know, right now, FDA has issued warning letters, and in those warning letters, it has generally been making really, a really aggressive cancer-carrying um, type claims. Um, and but FDA in all those warning letters has made it clear they don't believe CBD could be a lawfully marketed dietary ingredient. So, I think it'll play out over time. I think there will be lawsuits over it. I think that at some point there's going to be a court fight over whether CBDA can be marketed or not. And I don't know whether it will be the single ingredient um, CBD products or whether it will be the um, whether it will be the hemp products. As I said, I can come up with a plausible argument that I pretty sure that you know what i like to say it passes the laugh test that's when i say that it means i'm not going to be laughed out of the government's offices mm -hmm. but you, you have to convince a court and i tell clients all the time one court i might win the other court i might lose which you know always irritates clients go well how can one court have the same facts and decide differently i go because Courts are individual judges, and they have their own individual biases when they go into it. It's not that they they think they're being objective, but they bring their own perspective to everything. Yeah, it's not quite as variable as a jury, which no, it's not quite as variable as a jury of responses, but uh, it's still variable and it's not it, predictable for sure. For certain, that, that's correct. They run the risk. It, and my my hope is that there there's a resolution to be had and that CBD will be made available, but we'll we'll have to see because it's a shame to have something that has potential health benefits outside of what we call a drug claim um, not available to individuals. I think that the idea that you know there are, you know there are you know people believe that it helps alleviate 
daily stress and things along that lines. And daily stress is appropriate for dietary supplement. You know, I, just getting back to the petitioning of the FDA to include CBD as a dietary ingredient, it would seem to me a relatively extraordinarily small legal expense to do that in light of the hemp industry's uh, uh, suing the DEA as a, as a class one, uh, scheduled, scheduled class one substance. I mean, it's, it's for a small fraction of that, I mean, if it's, a, if it's a long shot, they still have a chance of getting it. But your, your concern is that if they get a no, that that's going to be more significant? Well, I, must, I, I once argued, are you better off having the fight now or later? I mean, the fight, if the fight's going to happen, should you just go ahead and do it now or should you go ahead and do it later? So from that perspective, maybe it is better to have that fight now mm -hmm. uh, while it's not an approved drug. Because right? having the fight after it's an approved drug is going to make it significantly more difficult. Yeah, yeah. But on the cost perspective, wouldn't it be a small fraction or is that just my, my guess? Uh, you know. Probably to file a good petition with FDA with all the safety data and everything that you would need, you're probably still talking about fifty to $80,000. But That's you still know, relatively small potatoes comparing so, to bringing yeah. a case before the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, but you know, if you lose that FDA, the litigation costs, you you're, you can easily reach the mid five figures to, I mean, mid six figures mm -hmm. to low seven figures. So I think that's why people don't do it. Hmm. Okay. All right. So are there any other interesting insights? Because this is fascinating. It really has so much potential to alleviate so much harm. It's a natural substance. I mean, you've been using it for many, many centuries, yeah. probably much longer than that. I'm not sure of the history of cannabis use, but uh, most natural substances, and certainly not all, but most, and especially cannabis, yeah. are are fairly safe. I don't even know if there's any documented deaths from the use of uh, cannabis. I mean, other than maybe getting an accident or something, but yeah, uh, I mean, but I directly, think I don't think it's, it's toxic at all. Yeah. Uh, well, with marijuana, the toxicity is actually, if you find toxicity, um, people dying from like a marijuana or overdose, it's generally because they ingested it. Hmm. Because they ingested way too much. You know, smoking is fairly quick. Ingestion takes 40 to 60 minutes mm -hmm. before you start feeling the effects. You could eat a lot of brownies in that time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think that's the only time that cannabis really becomes a, a, a problem from toxicity. I think that CBD well, is relatively the, safe. The, the toxicity is more anxiety and, and paranoia. It's, it's yeah. not death. People don't die from even ingesting like a case of brownies. I don't think you could kill someone with a case of No, I, um, it'd be hard to. Yeah, <laughs> it would be hard to. Yeah. Uh, so I think my insight is that is that if it goes the way I think it go, it will be a lesson that you know actually do good legal work um, and make sure you're correct in your analysis. Um, and instead of being lawyers trying to give them what their clients want to hear, actually tell the clients the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good. And th we really appreciate the updates because this is such a valuable resource that so many people benefit from. And uh, we've heard and read of many stories where parents are actually moving their residences to avail themselves of the, the benefits of living in a state where uh, medicinal 
uh, cannabis is available for yeah. treatment of their child's disorder. So it's uh, it's sad that it's not nationally available, but it is fortunately available in many states. And, uh, you know, CBD is available in all states at this point, but that right. may not be the case with the pending legislation or not, well, lit litigation, not legislation. Well, there are, there are seven states that I would recommend clients not sell CBD in. Um, I don't have it off the top of my head, but Indiana's one. They've said it's a controlled substance. I believe North Dakota and South Dakota are on that list as well. There's four other. I just, uh, they, they escape me right now. I can, wow. I can follow up with you with those. Okay. That's interesting. So it's still legal, but it's potentially... Uh... Uh, it, a problem a in some individual states. Okay. All right. All right. So we can go on to another hot topic, uh, which is home homeopathic medicines, uh, which were interestingly over a century ago, they were pretty widely used. And in fact, in 1910, the Flexner report, which was uh, funded for by the Carnegie Foundation and the Ford, I think Ford, not Ford, Rockefeller was behind that, uh, which essentially changed the entire frame of medicine and, and vilified homeopathy and switched the focus from nutrition and natural therapies to really pharmaceutical medicine, which is uh, for the most part were derivatives of the oil industry at that time and still are today. So, um, you know, this has been going on for a long time, more than this, well, more than a century. So I wondered if you could update us with the current status of this, because the rumor has been that this is going, this is going to be completely illegal. Well, FDA has issued a draft document in which they have said that they're going to exercise their enforcement discretion on homeopathic products, but made it clear that they believe that those products are unapproved new drugs. Um, and so FDA, FDA always has enforcement discretion. I mean, and they do exercise their enforcement discretion, but here in this instance, what I just what, they have what force of discretion? What? Enforcement. Oh, enforcement. enforcement. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have to, they don't have to enforce the law as they see it. Well, the way they, but I believe that they're just wrong on the law. I mean, homeopath, homeopathy is, goes back a long time. It goes back to the original Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. It is recognized as a as a drug in the the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Um, the idea that we're all of a sudden going to get rid of a whole swath of medicines that people truly believe in, mm -hmm. and there are people who don't believe in it, and. That, those are personal decisions, but why are we vilifying a whole um, medicinal paradigm just because it doesn't fit our ideas of Western medicine? Well, uh, and, and, it, and it seems to be irrationally inconsistent because, you know, on one hand, they're saying homeopath, homeopath, there's no way in hell that homeopathy can work. There's nothing in there. It's just nothing but vibration. You know, on the other hand, they're saying it's a new drug. So you can't have it both ways. Either it's a drug or it isn't. Yeah, but what, what makes it a drug is what you claim. So if you claim to treat a disease, then you're a drug. If you don't okay. claim to treat a disease, you're not a drug. So it's more what's the intent of the product. And one of the problems I have, and this is I have an issue, not just with homeopathy, but dietary. We've decided everything is a disease in this country. Everything's a disease. There's nothing that's not a disease. Um, and so we don't try to, 
worry about maintaining health, but it's absolutely, even if I want to say it, FDA was right, which I don't believe that, but even if I assume it's FDA's right, is right, why do we care if somebody sent a homeopathic medication for the alleviation of cold symptoms or coughs or a, a rash on your body? That's just a waste of money. You don't have to believe it works, but if the person, and even if I want to assume it's a placebo effect uh, mm -hmm. on individuals, those individuals believe it's working. The placebo effect's a real effect. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just the, the whole the whole rationale makes no sense. The you know, FDA admits that homeopathic drugs are safe. And they, they're not going to cause harm. So whether you believe they're effective or not is irrelevant um, because the people who take them are. And as regards the prescription products, that, is a, that should be between the physician and his patients, and they should discuss the pros and cons of homeo, whether a homeopathic product will work or not. Now, homeopathic products that are to treat serious conditions should not be made available over the counter, mm -hmm. but we don't, because we don't even let conventional drug products mm -hmm. that are that are intended to treat serious conditions over the counter. At least um, in the but United States. At least in the United <laughs> States, yes. <laughs> but you can't all of a sudden say, well, no, not even a practitioner in his practice of medicine cannot recommend a homeopathic. I just think that it's a wrong step. I think that FDA is, um, is overstepping. But I also think that in many ways, the homeopathic industry is kind of um, being lazy about it. Instead, they look at, well, you know, FDA has decided that we are, they're, not, they're going to exercise their enforcement discretion and not do anything. Well, I like an enforcement discretion to what do I feel like today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> do I feel like doing something? Do I not feel like I'm doing something? And, and what do you do when FDA decides to do something? And on top of it all, then you have all these plaintiff attorneys out there that are going to argue that, well, FDA is on the record that says that these products are unapproved new drugs. Well, that makes you illegal, and therefore, that's a reason to be sued. So I think you – I'm hoping that the industry wakes up and pushes back hard and not – Everything should, needs to be established by double-blind placebo-controlled studies. I'm just sorry. You know, we we, we want to be so stuck on a scientific method that actually isn't very scientific at times. For instance, FDA and FTC are wedded to 95% confidence level. Well, what does that mean? Nothing. It means that if I repeat that study 95 times out of 100, you get the same results. Well, Let's say I'm at 85 out of 100. Does that make it any less believable that that product works? It's an arbitrary number that has no real meaning. And it was really more of something that came out of the fact uh, of safety rather than efficacy. So we should stop worrying about that. We should push back. People should be allowed to have their homeopathic products. If they, if they believe in it, they should allow it. If you don't believe it, you don't have to buy it. And... And if you, it, but if you make the mistake as a homeopathic product and say that you're clinically proven, well, then you should have the clinical studies to support that. So, what's your best educated guess as to the outcome of uh, 
or what your your prediction is for the um, I guess the future of homeopathic medicine or homeopathic remedies in the United States? I think they'll be under continual assault. However, I don't think FDA will ever finalize that draft guidance document because FDA knows that when you when you when you finalize things, it, it has other repercussions. Uh, I think there will be there will continue to be companies sued over it, unfortunately. Um, and I think it's going until we get more stabilization and get FDA to just admit that this is appropriate. And as long as you're making your in in the state that as long as the claims are consistent with the materia medica for that particular ingredient, um, then the claims are not misleading. Uh, you know, I think that you know to boil down homeopathy simply is that like cures like. So if you have poison ivy, so if you have poison ivy, you put poison ivy on yourself, or if you have a blister, you put poison ivy on it, um, but it's a dil highly diluted poison I ivy. And it, I think that in many ways vaccines, like the smallpox vaccines and things like that, <clears> actually <throat> kind of grew out of that initially, mm -hmm. that idea that give people minute quantities that will help their Im immune body, immune system respond. Um, but vaccines is a whole different discussion that we don't need to get into. Uh, and so I, my hope is, is that FDA, my hope is that FDA will actually withdraw it and just admit that homeopathic, homeopathic products may be lawfully marketed as long as they are part of the materia medica and that the Federal Trade Commission, on the other hand, doesn't try to say the only way you can make a, pro make a product uh, for homeopathy, a claim for homeopathy is if you actually do a double blind placebo control study. I think that would be a huge mistake. Well, help me understand how come these remedies aren't grandfathered in. My my understanding is that there are certain drugs that uh, have been used for, and I, I know, I'm not sure what the date is, but if they're used before this date, it might be in the 50s or even earlier. It was 1938. That, yeah, 1938, then then they didn't have to do clinical studies, that they can make right. these claims, they can be used as drugs. Well, these homeopathic remedies have been long before right. 1938. Right. So why why are they somehow not, are they being penalized for because this? Because to be a grandfather, grandfather drugs are very narrow category of, of products. And your label, Everything has to be identical, including all your claims, all your warnings, your label, your labeling has to be identical to that pre-1938, uh, or is it 39, Can't forget my dates, um, uh, product. So if you can't show that it's not absolutely identical to that product that was marketed prior to that, then you're not grandfathered. Okay. And so very few products ever... FDA would ever admit there's grandfather, his grandfather, but it's not a bad argument to mm -hmm. make, especially if you can go back and show this 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 homeopathic remedy was marketed back in 1938. But part of the problem is that a lot back in the old days, the homeopathic products tended to be single ingredient products, mm -hmm. and almost all the homeopathic a lot of the homeopathic products today are multi ingredient. So that yeah, would that take you out of the issue. grandfather. Sure. Yeah, it complicates the issue. So if I were to if I were to find a 
1938 one and I copied that label identical, I would say that I'm grandfathered. I would have a good argument that it is. Yeah, you could probably find an 1838 one. Out there. Yeah, I probably could. <laughs> you yeah. probably could. Yeah. So, all right. So that that I guess that's a ray of hope if this ever gets out of control that at least the single ingredient ones most likely could have a good legal argument to be exempted. I think so. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, because it didn't make sense to me. It just rationally, it's been around for so long, uh, yeah. and and no one's. It's to the best of my knowledge, no one's ever died from homeopathic homeopathic preparation. Nobody's ever died from a homeopathic preparation. Um, and, and you know something? It's a very, it's a very niche area anyway. Most the most people who believe who do who buy homeopathic products truly believe in homeopathic products other people who don't believe in homeopathy you know which is probably the most of the united states probably a good 80 percent they won't buy it they'd rather yeah. take their pseudoephedrine for instance well, but it get back to it get back to a constitutional freedom of choice yeah. so wh why should we uh restrict people's ability to choose you know i'm not a fan of course of uh, anyone smoking tobacco. I mean, that's pretty basic, but I, I, on the other hand, I'm not a fan of banning it. If people want to choose that for whatever reason, and they're fully informed and aware of the dangers, they should have that right. Uh, and homeopathic preparations are a lot less dangerous than tobacco. There are a lot. And you know, something is our, our regulatory system, in my opinion, is just broken. It needs a major overhaul, um, but it has to really go that go on forever with this, Dr. McCullough. It's how we view health, mm -hmm. and because we've decided that you're either healthy or diseased, and there's nothing in between. Um, mm -hmm. And as you as you know, there's many there's a there's a many there's a large gray area in, in between disease and health. It's not either healthy or diseased. There's there's a lot of gray that goes in between it, and but yet we've decided to, to either you're healthy or you're not. And if you're not anything that is absolutely out of the ordinary, well, that's a that's a disease. Therefore, you have to have clinical trials to prove it. it it's a really from a pure policy standpoint, you would think Republicans and Democrats would agree that that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the likelihood of uh, having any significant change in the system in the near future is fairly remote, probably close to impossible, I would think. But, you know, things get entrenched and they just become almost immovable over, over time. It does, but it's good that we have people like you who are voicing out. And maybe over time we can make a difference. Because uh, if you don't keep on pushing the system, then the system never changes. Uh, and my hope is that we get to a system that makes sense and that promotes health and stop saying that everything is a disease. And, you know, is, is allergies, are, are allergies really a disease? Because isn't an allergy a hyper reaction, immune reaction to a, a stimulus rather than no reaction at yeah, all? But, but don't, don't you really, I mean, you, you, you ha I'm sure you're aware that many yeah. of these classifications of these symptoms into diseases is really for pure benefit of the drug companies. And, you know, there's, it's, it's no mystery that they have a massive lobby that control these, the legislation legislators and are able to pass these laws. They classify them and, you know, to their advantage so that they can essentially uh, restrict competitors and provide expensive solutions to the, you know, to these set of symptoms. 
uh, I think on the on the over the counter part, I'd probably disagree with you on that. I don't think they really care on the over the counter side. Um, and you know, just from you know, you know, there's good and bad people everywhere. Um, but I think that on the on the over the counter side and the sides that really affect our health on a daily basis. Um, if they could figure out, if they could figure out a a more cost effective way of doing things, because consumer products have a very thin margin, mm-hmm. um, so I think they could actually get on board with changing some of the regulations to make things more available um, mm-hmm. for them. Uh, so, uh, you know, but. Overall, I think the best way to go is, I think the best advice you ever gave me, Todd, you said to me, you said, Todd, just eat real food. (laughs) (laughs) Just eat real food. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's a good, one of the, there's many good, simple strategies to stay healthy. And that's one of them, of course. It's one of the foundational ones because it avoids a lot of the junk that we're exposed to from uh, the food industry, which is another yeah. <laughs> another so, major industry is not have, doesn't have our best interest at heart. Well, I started your started looking at your book the two weeks ago. And I started eating off of it, you know, following it, and I've lost ten pounds in like um, eight days. Now I know realize that probably only six ten or, pounds. Yeah, well, <laughs> only ten pounds, but the, you you said twenty pounds in fifteen days. Okay. <laughs> But I, but I, you know, everybody's different. But yeah, yeah. I, you know, the start. one thing I would start. say is that once I got past the the mental fog that kind of had on day five or day six, where I was just kind of tired. Ever since that day, I've been a lot more energy, yeah, a lot more yeah. clear-headed. Yeah, uh, well, so it's an amazing food. thing. Well, it's not just real food because yeah, yeah. you can you can eat real yeah. food and still be messed yeah. up. There's no question. But the likelihood is far less like f- yeah. far less. Um, far lower that was what i meant to say and uh the focus is is that you know most likely you were not burning fat as your primary fuel you were really relying on sugars and you have a limited store of sugars in your system and your body has to have fuel no question you will feel that's why you have the mental fogginess because you during that transition you just can't access your fat stores Uh, but when you shifted foods you can and then now that you can you you know the mental alertness and the tiredness that tend to disappear and you feel a lot better and you lose weight (laughs) and and, you know i i don't have the cravings Mm -hmm. yeah that that is the most significant i didn't expect we get a testimonial i didn't know that you even started it but it is true to me that's one of the most magical uh side effects I, i this is a good side effect of the process is that cravings actually disappear i mean I mean, you're not ruled by them anymore. You have the ability, the freedom to make conscious, wise food selections without yeah. this monster at your in your mind, just like dictating what your choices are going to be. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So congratulations. I'm yeah. glad you uh, took the yeah. forward. What, what motivated you? Because we, I think we last met a quite quite a few months ago. Uh, what motivated me is I was just tired. You know, I have a stressful job, but you have a stressful job too. I have no, a stressful job. Have a stressful job. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a stressful job and I was just run down and tired. And I'm like, and, and I was eating entirely too much chocolate. I love chocolate. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like dark chocolate. I like milk chocolate. If it's chocolate, I like it. Um, and you know, I, I, I just finally, I had gained 10 pounds over the last, you know, six months and I was like, you know, 
I, I need to do something. And your and your cookbook was sitting on my desk. And I started reading through it. That's our reading on, online all different articles and everything and what i've learned is that we vilified fat not realizing that the real issue is sugar mm-hmm. and you know, now i'll admit it's hard to eat a lot of fat without that sugar sometimes <laughs> um but but um it is it we, we our whole system's broken down we're worried about added sugar when we should be just worried about sugar in our diet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I once said that the worst nutrient content claim FDA ever made was low in fat. So what happened was they stripped out all, all the fat out of food. They put all these simple carbohydrates on it. And if you look at it, it directly correlates with the skyrocketing effect of obesity in our country. Mm-hmm. So that was about the mid 1980s, and that's when obesity rates and obsession among children started to skyrocket. But yet we still haven't made that mind connection. I still read where people say fat's your enemy, fat's your enemy. No, fat's not your yeah. enemy. It's the sugar. Well, it's starting to change. Fortunately, we're seeing yeah. a shift in the media and the, the general appreciation of the the, the nonsense that that assertion uh, yeah. provides. So. So you know, I, I I was glad I had your book out in there, and, and you and I over the years had talked about these things, and I decided that you know it was some sometimes it was time to put into practice what I what we've been talking about. So it, well, good it's been congratulations, great. and you know you'll reap the benefits your family yeah. will, and you know it's just good overall. Yeah, it's, I it's agree. wonderful, wonderful when your brain works. So, so we because we need we need. Uh, good legal beagles like yourself to help the industry really uh, preserve its uh, ability to provide natural health options to the public and not rely on, you know, frequently, certainly almost always expensive and frequently dangerous uh, uh, drug options that the the pharmaceutical companies uh, provide us with. So, all right. Well, it's been a great pleasure, and I, I really appreciate your insights on this. And uh, hopefully, uh, it will enlighten many people who are curious about this. I know I certainly was, and I think there's great uh, uh, benef- benefit to, to getting a legal, a, a really astute legal insights uh, into what the current status is. So we really appreciate the update. Well, thank you, Dr. McCall. I appreciate it.